continuing our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. Uh, specifically, we're talking about the parables about the kingdom of heaven. And this is uh, week four in our series uh, about the, the kingdom of heaven, also called the kingdom of God. Uh, both those terms mean the same thing to us. Um, and it was one of the key ideas, one of the key topics that Jesus taught about during his uh, teaching ministry on earth about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it, in fact, it, Matthew and Mark both give the same one-sentence summary of Jesus' uh, teaching ministry when he first began. And that summary was, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then after they, after they start out with that summary of what Jesus was teaching, then they give us many specific examples of, uh, of things that Jesus taught about the kingdom. And, uh, and, and a lot of what he had to say about the kingdom uh, was taught in parables. And we're looking at a number of those parables in this series. Um, we're exploring uh, some of those so that we can grow in our understanding of this key biblical idea of the kingdom. Um, so first, let's review some of the things that we've learned so far. And then we're going to look at two parables that are our main topic for today. Uh, and, uh, and learn from them what they have to teach us about the kingdom. So let's start out with a definition. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of heaven is the realm over which Jesus rules as king. Now let's unpack that a little bit. The realm over which Jesus rules as king. Jesus does not rule over a kingdom in the normal way that we're used to seeing governments ruling over countries um, Contrary to people's expectations at the time, uh, Jesus did not become a political king of a new nation. Uh, he did not uh, take over a, a new place with a capital and geographic borders and all that. Uh, the kingdom of God is not the kind of kingdom that could join the United Nations. But there is a realm over which Jesus rules as king. It isn't a political kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom that exists in the hearts of individual people who submit to God and His rule in their hearts and submit to Jesus as the king of their lives. That's what the kingdom of God is, is, uh, is really all about. And we saw in the parable of the sower that Jesus, as the sower who's out sowing the seed, He is presenting or offering the kingdom and the gospel to people. And in that parable, we saw that people respond differently to that offer. There are different types of responses uh, explained there. And it is only those who accept the seed of the gospel and let it grow in their hearts who are part of the kingdom of God. And then in the parable of the weeds and the wheat, we saw that the kingdom is something that happens in the lives of individual people who live right among the people who are not part of the kingdom. Since God's rule is in our hearts and not in our nations, it isn't something that happens to whole nations or groups of people. Uh, in places where we consider to be Christian nations, we find that uh, it's a mix of people who are part of the kingdom of God, mixed right in, living among people who are not part of God's kingdom. And in many of the places where other religions and philosophies dominate, uh, there are people there too whose hearts are ruled by Jesus and who are a part of the kingdom of God, and so the kingdom of God is there too. Now we also saw in that parable of the weeds and the wheat that there is a coming judgment. 
when all people will be separated according to their response to the offer of the kingdom. And there will be a reward and punishment according to how we have responded to the gospel. And then last week, we looked at the parables of the mustard seed and about the yeast. And in both of those stories, Jesus taught that the kingdom starts small and insignificant. Uh, That was the the one that we just uh, did as the scripture memory challenge about the tiny little mustard seed. But it will grow and have influence in the end, and it will uh, influence all over the world. And in the end, the kingdom of God will be the only kingdom, and Jesus will rule over all. Now we're going to take a look at the next two parables that will be our main topic this morning. The two very short stories, each one is just two sentences long. Matthew chapter 13, we've been in Matthew 13 all this, uh, this whole series so far. We will get out of Matthew 13 eventually, but there's just a lot of great parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. So Matthew 13, we're going to look at, uh, start with verse 44 this week. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These two stories illustrate again the double purpose of the parables. We've been talking about that in this series. Uh, Parables are metaphorical stories that illustrate the truths that Jesus wanted to teach. And yes, for uh, those of you out there really concerned with grammar, I know there's not metaphors, there's similes, right? But there's not such a word as similical, so we're just going to say metaphorical. They're metaphorical stories, the parables are metaphorical stories that illustrate truths. But we've seen with the other parables that sometimes the illustrations are not very obvious, sometimes they're kind of obscure. And when we read some of these stories, the... uh, the deep spiritual meaning behind the story is not very obvious. In fact, one of the reasons that Jesus spoke in parables was so that it would not be too easy to understand what he was trying to say. See, he taught using stories in order to challenge the people who heard them. If they had spiritual hunger and believed that Jesus was a great teacher, then they would put in the effort to find the meaning of the parable and learn the truth. They might have to wait around until the crowd left and ask Jesus what the stories meant. We saw that in in some of the parables we've looked at already. Or they might just have to do the work to figure it out. What is this really uh, about here? But however, for those who were only somewhat curious about Jesus and did not have the determination to put in the effort to figure out the meaning of the parable, for them... The parables were just weird stories about farming and fishing and buying pearls. Jesus' method of teaching through parables did two things. It revealed the truth to those who had the spiritual hunger to dig in and get at the truth. And it disguised the truth from those who were spiritually lazy and were not convinced that Jesus was worth listening to. One of the best illustrations of this division between those who are committed to learning from Jesus and those who are not is in John chapter 6. Now, in John chapter 6, Jesus had just finished a teaching session in which he had told people 
that if they wanted to be his followers, they would be required to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And if they did uh, eat his flesh and drink his blood, they would never die. Really, that that is what he taught in uh, John 6 there. You can go and read the chapter yourself. Um, Well, a lot of people heard what Jesus had to say and thought, this is more than a little weird. In fact, I don't think that this guy is really uh, what we had hoped he would be. We're done. And so the Bible says, uh, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. When Jesus said things that were just too hard for them to understand, many of his disciples thought, you know, maybe this Jesus stuff isn't for me after all. Do you think Jesus was surprised? Did he think, oh, I just lost a bunch of people, that was a mistake. Maybe I should have, uh, should, should have seen that coming when talking about cannibalism and things. I should have. Did he call back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. It's a metaphor. Let me explain. No, here's what he, he did say. He said to the 12, he said, do you want to leave too? Or you do not want to leave too, do you? So here's the test. This is it. He's taught a difficult thing to understand. Many people have left, and then Jesus puts the test to the 12. Are you going to leave too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's called passing the test doesn't say that Peter had a good understanding at that point of what Jesus had been saying. That probably came a little later that uh, he kind of sunk in and they figured it out. Uh, but at this point, Peter and the rest were committed to Jesus and to learning from him, even if it wasn't easy. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to be committed to him, to put in the effort to learn to follow him, even when things are not easy to understand. Whether that's because God's truths are taught in parables and metaphors, or because it's it's being taught in stories about people who lived thousands of years ago, or because the logic of the theology of Romans is kind of tough to follow, or because God's truth conflict with what our culture and our own feelings are telling us. When it's hard to learn from Jesus, that's when we need to stay committed to him and put in the effort to understand his truth. Do we believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life? Have we come to believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God? Then learning the truth from him is worth the effort, and you need to pursue the truth of Jesus' teaching. So let's do a bit of that now. Let's take a closer look at these parables of the treasure and of the pearl. Here they are again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had and bought the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. 
So the basic idea of both of these stories is the same. And, uh, and someone finds something that's extremely valuable, and he does whatever it takes to acquire that thing. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us uh, how the guy finds the treasure in the field, but in the story of the pearl, his character is a pearl merchant who's out looking for fine pearls, it says. He's not a pearl diver, breaking open oysters, looking, hoping to find a pearl. He is a merchant who's going to wholesalers and visiting caravans from the coast and, and looking for uh, this, this special kinds of pearls that he wants to use. And I picture this as really similar uh, to the guys on that TV show, American Pickers. You guys ever seen that show? The idea in that show, it's, uh, it's a reality show. There's these two guys that own an antique store. And they travel all around the country uh, looking for uh, special items to sell in their store. They go and visit people who are collectors and things. And, uh, and they dig through their collections looking for some really cool thing that catches their eye. And that's kind of what this pearl merchant is doing. He's uh, going around, looking through what people have, and searching for pearls that he can use to make jewelry or resell to jewelry makers or something. And sometimes on that show, on American Pickers, they find an item that they get really excited about. It's one of the things that makes the show entertaining is how excited these guys get about some weird little uh, rare item. And, uh, and, and when they find that, they just have to have it, and, they ha and then they start negotiating a price with the owner. And sometimes the price for some of these little collectible antiques can get pretty high. And you look at it and say, wow, that thing is worth that much? I guess so. Uh, but Jesus' story goes way beyond anything that you'll ever see on that show. Both the guy who finds the treasure and the guy who finds the pearl must have the thing that they found. So they pull out their purse, count out their money. Not enough money. Okay, I'll sell my donkey. Uh, still not enough money. Okay, sell my extra pair of sandals, my spare cloak. Still can't do it. Um, I'll sell my camel, my tools, my sword, my furniture. I'll sell my, uh, my house, my land, my sheep, my goats, everything. I must have this pearl. They sell everything they own to get it. It would be like those American Pickers guys sold their whole store. They sold their own homes. They sell that big van that they always drive around in. They sell their watch. They sell their sunglasses. They sell everything in order to get the one item. Jesus says in both these stories that these guys went and sold everything they had in order to buy the field and the pearl. Is that normal, sane behavior? Maybe for the treasure it makes a little bit of sense, but for the pearl, think about that guy. What are you going to do with that pearl? Where, where are you going to sleep tonight, genius? You just sold your house. What are you going to eat for breakfast in the morning? So what's Jesus' point? What is he saying here? Uh, the main idea really isn't that hard to figure out this time, the main, main point of the parable. It's accepting that the idea is true that is really the hard part. And here, here's the main idea. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable to you than anything and everything in your life. Not just material things, Anything and everything. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your reputation. It's more important than being popular. It's more important than your comfort. More important than your marriage. More important than your relationship with your kids. The kingdom of God is more valuable than anything. 
There's a well-known story in the Bible that gives us a real-life example of someone who was confronted with the question of how much he valued the kingdom of heaven. This is in uh, Luke chapter 18, so I want to flip over there. Luke chapter 18, it says, um, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Basically, Jesus is presenting this guy with the same scenario from the parable of the treasure in the field, right? There's a great treasure in heaven, Jesus says, and you can have it. All you need to do is sell everything you own to get that treasure. It's yours if you just sell everything. Does this man see the heavenly treasure as more valuable than his worldly possessions? Will he take Jesus' offer? Here's what the Bible says. It says, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And we know from from the account of this story in one of the other Gospels that at this point, the man just walked away. This reaction is the exact opposite of the guy in Jesus' parable of the treasure in the field. In the parable, it says, in his joy, he went out and sold everything that he had and bought that field. The guy in the parable can see see that selling all that he has to get the treasure is a bargain. It's it's an incredible good fortune that he's had. And this deal is that, that, that this is even available to him is amazing. And to give everything up for it, of course, he's overjoyed to be able to trade everything for the treasure. But this guy is just sad and walks away. Then the Bible says this. It says, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some of you might have heard that the eye of the needle was actually a really small gate in the city wall of Jerusalem that a camel could actually fit through if you just unloaded all of its stuff and got it down on its knees and then had it crawl through this little, like, tunnel-like gate through the wall, Um, which is a very interesting story. The only problem with that is we have no historical or archaeological evidence that anything like that ever existed. Um, Actually, what Jesus was talking about is this thing that I'm trying to get out of my Bible here. I brought uh, the thing that Jesus was talking about right here. If you're not sitting in the first row, maybe you can't see this. Um, This is the eye of a needle right there, the eye of a needle. Um, Do you think that uh, a camel could fit through there? What if you took off all of its packs and had it kneeled down? Well, how about a baby camel? No, okay. Um, This is why Jesus' followers reacted incredulously. They said, 
Who then can be saved? See, in, in, in that culture, most people considered wealth to be a sign of God's favor. If even these people who appear to be blessed by God cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, what is it that's impossible? What is Jesus saying is impossible here? Uh, for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's impossible. What about poor people? Easy for poor people to enter, right? Uh, not exactly. Um, the, this passage doesn't really uh, answer the question of poor people, but we know from the rest of the, of the Bible that it's actually impossible for anyone to enter the kingdom of heaven apart from the work of God in their life, making it, uh, making it possible. So, but yet, Jesus is saying here clearly that it's especially difficult for people who are rich. And, and, and why is that? Because in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to value it above all else. You need to give up everything you have in order to get the treasure in the field. And it is just extra hard for people who have a lot of wealth to do that. But the conversation continues here. Here's Peter's response to all this. Peter said to him, we have left all to follow you. See, Peter declares that what this guy was unwilling to give up everything uh, for, for, the, for Jesus and his sake, uh, he himself, Peter, and the other disciples have done it. They have left everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't even talk uh, now about giving up their wealth. He speaks about even more meaningful things, home and family. But what he says here is, uh, isn't only about home and family either. Anything that we have left behind for the sake of the kingdom will be fully repaid and more. Jesus promises relationships in the here and now, even in this life. But ultimately, the reward that is given to us for those who, who leave all to follow Jesus is eternal life. Now, this week, as I was studying these sections of the Bible and putting together this, this sermon, I realized that there was some real danger here that I would accidentally drift into some bad theology and teach you something that was uh, not correct. Um, it would be easy for these parables and the story about the rich guy to be understood as, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want eternal life, then you need to, uh, to it's going to cost you. You need to pay the price. Uh, you could misunderstand Jesus here to be saying that there's some kind of an admission fee for heaven, and if you pay the fee, then you're in, but if you won't pay the fee, then you're left out. Uh, let, let me be clear about that point. Uh, you don't pay to enter heaven. Uh, not a financial payment, not through some kind of good deeds or penance. Uh, salvation is a free gift from God. We are not saved because of what we give up for God or how much money we give to the poor or to a church or because we have given up enjoyable sins. The Bible says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
not by works so that no one can boast. We are not saved because we have paid the price of admission to get the treasure. So then, what is it that Jesus is saying? Well, the main point of these parables is is how much the treasure and the pearl are valued and not actually that the characters paid to get them. Do you understand that distinction? It's the, it's the value, the tremendous value of the kingdom that's the main point. The parables tell us that the kingdom of heaven is of such great worth that it cannot be compared to anything else. It's a, it's a lesson about value, not about payment. And when the rich ruler came to Jesus, he wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus knew his heart. He knew that there was something else that this guy wanted even more than he valued salvation. And so Jesus confronted him with the choice of holding on to his wealth or having eternal life. And if any of us want to be part of God's kingdom, if we want Jesus to rule in our lives, the requirement is not that we sell everything we have and buy our way in. The requirement is that we value God and his salvation above all else. In another place, Jesus put the idea like this. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus' statement here is both general and specific. In general, he says it is impossible to serve two masters, any two masters. Then Jesus gives a specific example of one of the most common rivals to the service of God, which is money. But the broad principle remains. Money is not the only rival to God, only one of the most common ones. You cannot serve both God and your career. You cannot serve both God and family. You cannot serve both God and success. You cannot serve both God and popularity. No one can serve two masters. So it comes to a choice. What is it that you truly value? Do you value the kingdom of heaven more highly and highly enough that you would sell everything, leave everything in order to get it? Can you say with Peter, Lord, We have left everything to follow you. What does it really mean to leave everything? It does not actually mean that we need to sell our houses and cars and cash in our retirement plans and donate all the money to the homeless shelter where we would then go and live. (laughs) Um, It doesn't mean that we have to cut off our relationships with our families or give up your career. It means that we must value God and his kingdom so highly that when there are conflicts between our commitment to God and one of these other things, we do not hesitate to choose God. Sometimes we will have to choose between what will please the people around us and what will please God or between putting our efforts into driving our careers forward or putting our efforts into serving God. You might even need to choose between God and family. 
Most of the time, these things will be compatible. God wants us to have great family relationships and to be successful in our work. But when conflict comes, which do you value? Have you let go of everything else in order to pursue God and his kingdom? It shouldn't be a difficult choice. The value of God's kingdom and the eternal rewards that he offers so outweigh our worldly desires. There is a great treasure in heaven, and you can have it. But you must value it above all else. When you came in today, you were handed one of these little gold coins. Uh, If you didn't get one when you came in, you can still get one on your way out. I have some at the back table, and they're out by the entrances. Um, They're not really gold. They're actually plastic. Sorry to disappoint you. But um, chocolate chocolate ones are really nice, but chocolate ones would not serve the purpose because the reason that you got a little gold coin is so that you can keep it. The chocolate one you would eat, and it'd be gone. This one is for you to keep and hold on to just as a reminder of the value of the kingdom of God and the lessons of this parable. This is our little treasure for you to put in a place where you will uh, see it often and remember the treasure that, uh, that is available to us um, when we uh, value it above all else. That, Yes. <laughs> could have kept the wrapper and ate the chocolate, but get a little coin. If you didn't get one on the way in, pick one up on the way out. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for providing this amazing, amazing offer of uh, treasure in heaven that we can have. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand its worth so that we can with joy go and, and give up everything we have in order to get it. We pray this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.